and it is a damn good day to have a damn good day. And we're live with the one and only, the former Haley Wilson now, Mrs. Haley Dodge. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Where it's happening, we're doing it. We've been talking about this for so long and you're here, you're in the studio. The dream has come true and look at us, look at us. I know, it's crazy to think that my friend Lindsay, my friends Lindsay and Carlos used to live here and now you've done it up and it looks so good in here. The studio looks really professional, paint, everything. It's so crazy that your friends lived here. That's. I know. And that's why it was so nice that you bought it because like I'm obviously we're also friends with Lindsay. Like I know if she came to Miami, she'd want to see it again. Carlos lives around the corner. It's just a, it's a good feeling. Yeah, that's it, it's great feeling. The neighborhood is great. And out of all of the things I've done in life, getting this home has brought so much happiness into my life. I, it's interesting because when you're young, you, you should save money. It's really important to save money so that you can invest and do stuff. When you buy a home, it's almost like you have this playpen and you want the playpen to be dope because it's your home. So I find myself always in this conundrum of, should I do this to the house? Should I do this to the house? Or should I chill and go buy another house? the homeowner's dilemma but man i gotta say i am just so happy and if it wasn't for you texting me i remember how the whole thing went down this wouldn't have happened and i also think it's funny how what you thought you wanted changed actually i think my stogie's breathing really heavily can you can you introduce stogie to everyone okay yeah this is um stogie dodge (laughs) he's he's a pekingese um he's my child he's beautiful but i think he is breathing a little heavy I don't, want him to, I don't want him to be distracting. Thank you, baby. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> you just needed some cuddles. Um, no, what I was going to say is I think I'm going to put him on the floor because I think he's a little much. But I think like when you came to Miami, you know, like a lot of people do, you're like, I want the loft. I want the ocean view. I want the amenities. I want to ball out. And then you live there for not even a year and you're like, I really want a home. And having, being the king of your own domain is for, for me too because having you, you know owned a couple condos and now living in a home i mean it's for me personally it's the only way to do it 100 percent. you're not worried about people above you below you when you have to let out the trash you don't have to walk out there in your boxers and have these weird encounters with the neighbors and you're just like hey so i mean some people like that for me same as you like i don't want to see anyone you know but some people want that community I mean, the upside of the condos is that you have zero worries in the sense of there's no pipes bursting and you're not running into any issues. It's very turnkey, right? So I guess it's all about what you're looking for. Yeah, I think it's you took on a big responsibility owning this home at a very young age in your life. And it's really impressive. But it wouldn't have happened and I wouldn't have been able to acquire such a home without you i mean you made it happen the world's best realtor i mean i say it (laughs) night and day when everyone and their mom is a realtor these days right anyone can become a realtor very few people can ever do it successfully and the way you showed up to help me purchase this home go through the process was nothing short of outstanding and every single person that i refer you to and that you talk to says the exact same thing you're a shark. You're an absolute <laughs> wildebeest of a real estate agent. You do not <laughs> let anything, you just, you make things happen. It's truly impressive. Well, thank you. I appreciate and that. And you've come a long way, all the way back from Macy's.com. I know. It's really funny. Isn't it interesting that 
you know, you are in this corporate world and I know this because we're such good friends and you, you know, you were crushing it there, but you definitely felt like a little bit like your soul was being sucked out of you. And you went through this huge change and to think about who you were then to who you are now closing. What was it like $33 million last year by yourself? That's insane. I mean, yeah, but I had, a, I had a lot of help. I had a lot of help. I was definitely listless and lost in San Francisco, for sure. And I, don't, I think that if I hadn't had that big medical change in my life and had met Matt, I don't think I would have made this. I, I don't think, I, there's no way I would have ended up in Miami. I had always, Florida was always a place I loved, but my family vacation in St. Pete and Tampa and, you know, it was like staying in motels. It was not fancy. I'm here because Matt brought me here. You know, and I was ready for a change. And I'm someone who, like, my mom jokes that, like, that's what gets me off, like, making big decisions. Like, I love making big decisions. Um, and it's weird because big decisions have generally come in the form of moving to a different city. And now I've been here going on six years with no desire to leave. And so I'm just trying to figure out other ways to get that high, right? Because I like, I like changing it up. It's interesting when people know what their toxic traits are. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I think that like when I was younger, maybe it was more exciting than it is now. And now I have like a, you know, a husband and we'll probably have kids. I can't keep, you know, You're gonna have changing. Kids. That's going to be a big decision. I hope so. Yeah. That's going to be a big decision. You got a lot of big decisions coming up. I know. I know part of you wants to still just pull the trigger and go to St. Pete though or Tampa. I mean, part of me... Part of me likes that low-key lifestyle. Part of me really... I did not grow up... Um, you know, my, my grandparents were very... Who were a big influence in my life. You know, it was family barbecues and nothing fancy. Nothing like this. I always liked that fancy life. But this is not how I grew up. And sometimes I do just imagine a more peaceful lifestyle. But I tell you, every time I go there, I'm like, I could never live here. Like, it's Miami or bust. Well, your family is such a great reflection of who you are. They're just outstanding people. They're so kind. You. Clearly, you know, they're they're very successful. They've the, your, your family has a lot of just diversity in it. And they're just the most accepting, kind people. And it, that flows through you because you're, like I said, you're a shark. You're a top performer. You're pretty much the best type of person we could ever have on the podcast that represents a top performer, an entrepreneur. But at the same time, you have that side of you where you're you're not a you're not you're not a douche. You know, you're a fun <laughs> person, and you, you can vibe with anybody, which is such a, a great skill to have. And your biggest skill is hyping people up. I love it, MC. Well, I have great people in my life. It's great, and this is my most fun thing to do. I know this is fun. It's fun because when you realize that you are an authentic person, and that. There is something that when you step into that power that you can offer and help people from all over the world, that's a superpower. And some people earn it, like learn it very early on. For me, it was through network marketing. I learned that you can become a Goliath through a story, right? You can impact hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people through telling stories, right? And then once you realize that and you have that incident where you actually change someone's life or you see your authenticity bring a smile to someone's face it becomes just eye-opening and you realize that there's a bigger purpose on this earth beyond just what you might have thought so far yeah i would say the other side of that coin is and something i've had to learn some people really do listen to you and you have to be careful with your words and careful with your advice 
because uh, I've had people, I've said things to people before that I might have said flippantly or offhandedly that to one friend might mean something different and they've taken me really seriously or followed my advice and that's a responsibility as well. You know, and I think that I'm much more careful. I mean, God, having been through everything I've been through in real estate and just my life, I'm very careful now with my words, I think, in a way that I wasn't before. I, I assume because, number one, you're very assertive. And when you're a great salesperson, and I say that <laughs> in a great way because you believe in what you're saying, but you got to be careful because, like you said, that can go both ways. But here's the thing. As long as you're just honest, like, hey, this is what I think based on what I've seen you don't have anything to feel guilty about. No, but I mean, there's, I mean, look, I'm training someone new right now and she's brand new in real estate and she's amazing and super ambitious. But I said, look, I'll tell you this, two things, never put it in writing or always put it in writing. Be very careful about what you do and try to have more phone calls, you know, because it's, I have been exposed to a lot of litigious people and people are kind of out to get, I've, I have amazing clients, right? But then there, there are some people who that's what they thrive on. And you have to be very careful. You know, you're dealing with big deals. You're dealing with mortgages, sometimes upwards of millions of dollars and financing and massive escrows and, and you know, property lines. And you just have to be careful. So people are just out there trying to screw you sometimes. Not at, generally not, but sometimes that does happen. And the second you get comfortable is when you slip up. The second you stop watching what you're saying and really following the way things need to be done, yeah, you need to be really careful. Real estate is not about just showing up and opening a door whatsoever. If you do it as a full-time job, right? A lot of people do it, you know, maybe, like you said, everyone and their mother can be can be a realtor. To do it well, to build a business, to really make it your life is a whole nother story. And the deeper you get into it, the more you learn the nuance of the industry. Do you feel that, let's talk a little bit about your journey in real estate, because people see that you're top 100 US wide income earners. Tell me how that works. <laughs> okay. I'm top 1.5% of realtors in the US. And there's like, you know, millions of, real, there's over a million realtors in the US. Um, I'm top 100 in my brokerage in Compass. With Compass, yeah. Yeah. So I am... And granted, it's just me. I have a small, I'd like, I've had one person filtering in and out, fi- you know, team building. That's a whole nother can of worms that has been one of the biggest challenges in my career. But yeah, I mean, I've been doing for for the relatively small time I've been doing it. I have been very, I've had success and I've been really lucky. I've been lucky. I really do. I believe in luck. I think luck is so much of life. Luck, luck is real. L- luck, luck is life. Luck is life. I really, I. But you can put yourself in a position to get lucky. Right, but I, I really think luck is like ninety nine percent of life. That's aggressive. I do. I really do. I mean, you know, and then half a percent what you're born with, and half percent hard work. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, besides that, just being funny and you being a humble queen. I mean, when you go back, like, let's talk about, you know, you had the, the, the thing with your stomach and you went through this hardcore procedure and then you met Matt. And then there was that period, I remember, where I don't believe you were really earning anything. And like you guys were living in Miami at the time, the two of you, while you were getting your real estate license and getting ramped up with that. But you started at ground zero with no help learning this thing. What made you even decide to put you and step your foot into the door of real estate? So, okay, so yes. So when I was living in San Francisco, I had a kidney transplant, you know, changed things for me. 
I'd met Matt and I was just not feeling fulfilled in San Francisco. I was working at a company where I felt there was a lot of fat. I didn't see a lot of productivity. I saw people getting paid, checking out at three, you know, associate, associate manager, assistant manager. I just thought it was all bullshit. And Matt said, uh, you know, what are you doing? I, I originally moved to San Francisco because I thought it was so cool and my best friend lived there, but that dissipated. I, we're not even going to talk about San Francisco. No. But um, yeah, we moved to Miami and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was looking into other beauty beauty possibilities. And then, I, you know, real estate is in my family. Matt's mom had even encouraged me to do it. And Matt really encouraged me to do it. And Miami just felt like, I, I, said, I guess the biggest thing is that when I was moving here, and it's different now, but there wasn't a lot of professionals in Miami. And if you could just show up on time and be assertive, there was this sense that you could be successful. It's now changed because we have a much more educated pool of people living here. But yeah, when I was living here, you know, I had savings. I wasn't a complete louse. But Matt was the one who, I joined Compass because I only wanted to be with the best brokerage, tech-focused brokerage. But, you know, no one gives you business. And Matt said, why don't you try doing online leads, which is brutal. I mean, online leads is cold calling at its worst. But he paid for my online leads. He even like paid my taxes my first year. But I, I started, yeah, with no network. And I did online leads like it was my job. I mean, running out the door, meeting people, going to and on top of that, going to every single open house I could go to, just exposing myself to inventory and really hustling hard to provide value. That's how I started, at the bottom. I mean, going to neighborhoods I have no business in, going to Hialeah, which is, you know, if you are not fluent in Spanish and Cuban and know that neighborhood like the back of your hand, you do not belong in Hialeah, but doing deals in Hialeah, you know, and now, uh, and now I, you know, now I'm training someone on how to be successful in that world. But it's it's tough. It's it's tough. So with the thing with cold calling leads, so basically companies have sort of these capture pages that say if like a Zillow or something along those lines or Trulia, and if you enter your information, you, that lead is then essentially sold to realtors that want to call. Is that how that works? It works like this. So in general, it's great being a listing agent. Right, because the listing agent is the one who has the who has the property. At least in Florida, you the seller pays the buyer's agent's commission. You could work as a buyer's agent and never get paid. You could work with a buyer for years. As I have many buyers who have been, you know, in and out of my sphere for years. So generally, when a, and in Florida, we share a public listing service called the MLS. The MLS and all these public listings are disseminated to every single platform: Zillow, Realtor, Trulia, whatever it might be. Now. As a buyer's agent, you can pay to buy leads. There's a couple ways to do it, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know exactly if it's still the same. But on Zillow, they will show your, they will show possibly your face or your info next to a property, so that the person who's looking at the property will be directed to you. On Realtor, you you truly just buy leads. Now, there's some gray area here. A lot of listing agents don't like this because they want the buyers to come directly to them. But the honest to God truth is, and I've represented many people on both sides of the deal, you being one of them, it's always better to have an agent who is specific to you. Right? Like if I'm going to if I'm if I have a listing and a buyer comes directly to me, you know, you become a transaction agent and 
that's not allowed in every state. It is allowed in Florida, and you just represent the transaction, not one party. But you really are better served having someone represent you as a seller or represent you as a buyer. But yeah, that's how it works. These are buyer leads that you buy. You buy them in zip codes. You know, some people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year buying it. You know, and that's how that's how I built it. So you're saying you're better served besides the weird place, which is Florida, to have a buyer have an agent and a seller have an agent in that scenario. Yes, yes. Then to have one buyer or one agent facilitating both sides of the transaction. Yeah, I mean, think about it. They're loyal to the transaction. They're not loyal to either party. You want someone fighting for you. You want, if you're a buyer who's at a really bad inspection and you really need and want money to fix these items, you want someone on your end who's going to be able to articulate that. You know, if you have an appraisal that's under appraised, you want someone who can who can fight for you and reason with the other party why there needs to be an adjustment to help you personally through the process. It's not that it can't be done. Being a transaction coordinator is great. Like, hey, it's more money, right? But in general, you want someone representing you. Yeah. What has been sort of one of the, um, when, when looking at the process of negotiating, say on the seller's behalf or on a buyer's behalf, what have been some of maybe the lessons you've learned to be more effective and communicate more properly so that number one, you're not coming off too strong, but at the same time being assertive? I think that, well, I'll talk about something I learned early on. It was very humbling. You really need to know the mentality of the person on the other end of the conversation. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was negotiating a high-end, you know, multi-million dollar condo purchase for a buyer. Now, this buyer, he was a finance guy in New York. He was pretty aggressive, but had been totally professional with me, very happy with me. I toured with him for multiple days while he was in Miami. Finally, we came to an agreement that this was the property he wanted to buy. So I got in touch. I knew the listing agent. We were in the same brokerage. And because of my relationship with that agent, we were able to work out a deal within 10 minutes. So I called this guy. This is my like second year in the business, all excited. And he was convinced I'd colluded with the other agent to get him to come up in price when he didn't want to and vice versa, vice that, that the seller really was going to sell it for that all along and that because I knew the agent I had colluded and happened too quickly. That was a real learning lesson for me. I mean, that guy was crazy, and he and I ended up firing him as a client, but because of, of accusing me of something unethical. But that was a really great learning lesson on how to communicate with who's on the other end, right? I should have waited. I should have waited. We should have paused. He's, he wanted the he wanted to draw the deal out. So you should have given it like a day, two days, three yeah, days. Yeah, he and wanted to made know. Made it feel like it was more of this negotiation. Yes, yes. So communication was the the biggest thing. Now that I'm more seasoned. I'm pretty firm with my, and it changes with the market, but I'm pretty firm with my buyers don't offer above a certain amount because it's not worth it, right? Or you have to offer this. There's times to get a deal, and then there's times to get what you want. Sometimes you may pay more to get what you want. In certain markets, there's time to get a deal. So really just being familiar with pricing, um, certainly on the buyer's end. On the seller's end, knowing really what their home is worth and being attuned to the market you know we just we are coming out of a 
pandemic-fueled market where people had a lot of savings and interest rates were low, and it was bidding wars for every single property. I've never experienced anything like that. So sellers got greedy. And now I have sellers coming to me and they're wanting to list things for really high when the market's not going to sustain that. So it's hearing them out but also being pretty firm because nothing makes a listing look worse than accumulating days on market or having to take multiple price cuts. So you have to be firm and I'd rather lose a listing for refusing to list it overpriced than put something on market that makes me look bad and hurts my reputation. It's knowing, honestly, real estate, yes, it's relationships, but it's, it's pricing. You have to know your pricing. But it's also commanding respect from those sellers that you actually know what you're talking about and you have their best interests at heart. You're not just thinking about what you want. You want them to sell their house, but you also understand that, like you said, having price cuts, having it stay on the market for 100, 200 days is not the vibe. And <laughs> even if you explain that, I bet some people still say, you don't know what you're talking about. But I'm sure that by explaining that in a concrete way, almost like your elevator pitch of why, at least sways them to start thinking more properly. Well, it's really, yes, but it's personal, remember. So imagine I come to you and I say, okay, Ian, this house is worth $500,000. And you're like, are you kidding me? I just bought this for four hundred, and I put in $150,000 worth of customization. Like, And to have that conversation, you over-improved, right? It's very hard to get your money back if you over-improve for the market you're in. I mean, that's not the case with you. You're in an appreciating market. You're going to make a killing if you ever sell this house. But the fact is, selling is personal. You know, maybe you put in like a reflective mirror ceiling that you think is the coolest thing ever, but I know it's tacky and it's got to (laughs) go. But it's cost you 50 grand. You know, that's why I'd say for when you're getting started out in real estate, as you're coming into your late 20s, 30s, whatever it might be, Try not to be, unless you see this as your forever home, don't do anything insane. Don't do anything that could possibly hurt your value because it's so specific. And we sugarcoat that when something is grotesque, we just say it's very taste specific, right? And taste specific isn't good. You know, that makes it harder to sell. Like you're going to need to find the buyer that wants the giant gorilla statue in the front yard. There is someone out there, but probably not everyone. Right, exactly. So be careful if this is not your forever home. That's a tough thing because I find myself always trying to do the little improvements. Guys smiling because I'm constantly like, mm, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? But I get what you're saying. I mean, you also have to live in your home. Yeah. You know, you, you have to live and enjoy your home, right? For sure. You know, just uh, like people who, for example, soundproof an entire room and block out the window and make it a drum studio and then want to be like, this is a third bedroom. I'm like, no, it's a soundproof room where the entire window is blocked out. And unless you remove it, it's not you know i can't show it like this you know so things like that yeah and then you see it from both perspectives of of selling a home and buying a home and you've seen what hits and what doesn't yeah do you feel a lot of that just comes with just getting getting your your licks in just constantly showing up and and just getting experience going through these processes or do you feel that a lot of it is the education and the coaching you're getting so for example you're training an awesome all-star um, on your team, which you've been so excited about and you're fired up about because the Haley Wilson group is expanding. Haley Miami, Haley Miami, Haley Wilson. I keep saying Haley Wilson. I'm Haley Dodge now, baby. Haley Dodge group <laughs> is expanding. So do you think that at some level for someone new, um, for your mentee, she's going to have to just go in there and get her face kicked in by people just being rude and just the process of going through the getting skin in the game, which is what you need when you're in especially like real estate or do you think that 
by having specialized coaching, you can truly lower that learning curve significantly. The latter. I would never want her to be disrespected or get her face kicked in. Alexandra is going to grow as she gets exposed. Gets exposed to every element of real estate and I'm going to guide her. You know, you don't put a new agent out there and just let them flail. You have to help them be successful. Her success is my success. So in the beginning, it's just, just exposure to inventory. It's exposure to taking all kinds of classes to train you on how to think about um, the legal elements of real estate, you know, how to, how to really draft the correct contract, how to work through the process of a deal. But if anyone's ever rude to her, they're fired. No money is worth that. And it took me some time to realize that, you know, and it's, and when you finally get to a point where you're comfortable enough, where you're not desperate for any element of, of the, the deal to happen, that's when you really provide value because you don't really care truly about the money at the end because that the, the person you're doing a deal with, that's your sphere. If anything goes wrong or they make the wrong decision, that's on you and that's very damaging. You know, so no, she will learn through guidance and maybe I got my face kicked in because I don't feel that I had a very good I didn't have someone who was aligned with my vision of how to build real estate. I kind of started with someone who was pretty old school. We wanted to do things the old school way, and I didn't want to do that. Well, managing people is one of the hardest levels of growth to step into. It's interesting. The more people I speak to, it seems that when they have kids is when they finally start outsourcing a lot of things in their life because they just realize that, number one, work isn't everything, and two, they don't have the time. And properly managing people is what gives you time freedom, but at the same time helps you grow and expand your vision, expand your culture, expand your values, and grow your business. And I mean, I love what you're doing right now. I mean, you're you're doing it. You've been talking about doing this, and now you're you're growing. And uh, I'm I'm super excited for the the growth of the Haley Dodge Group. Yeah, I think that um, the biggest thing is that that person has to be a representation of me. And if I ever get negative feedback from clients that that person was a bad representation of me, then I didn't do a good job in training that person. That's that's on me. Taking accountability. Yeah, for sure. What about the days when you go fully ballistic because you just have a tough day? You know, every job, every profession has tough days. I'm in sales. There's days where I just am, I just need to blow off some steam. What are the situations that you find yourself in as a realtor that just make you say, F this, I'm, I'm quitting and I'm going to do a new career? <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that as much as I used to anymore because I'm able to handle things better. I don't get that stressed out anymore because I kind of, of course, I'm always going to come across something that I might not have seen before. I mean, yesterday, for example, <laughs> I'm doing a septic inspection and I get a frantic phone call 10 minutes after it ended that these guys stole avocados off the seller's tree, right? So every day, you know, we have to go back and judge it and return the avocados. And so every day does represent something new, but I'm able to handle things much better because I'm seasoned, you know? That's not to say I don't have a temper. 
Right. Well, I feel that the best real estate agents are really, really good problem solvers. Yeah. You know what really inspires me? So my favorite show is a show called Alone. Have you ever seen it? No. Okay. It's these amazing wilderness experts that are dropped in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have to just survive. And I watch this show because I watch these people truly up against life and death stay calm. And it, that I, I that's myself. Like I work all day long, and then you know Matt's in in the Cape right now, so I've had a, I've had like a week to myself, and that really helps me learn how how what a good look it is to stay calm. It's Matt Matt is Matt and Matt's been a huge part of this and teach because he's such a calm person and teaching me that the first person that loses their cool loses the argument. You can't lose your cool. And it doesn't reflect well on you. There's being passionate and then there's being, you know, irresponsible with your words and your feelings. I've had to learn it and I'm not perfect, but I've gotten a lot better. For sure. I mean, I like that you mentioned that because we're human and humans have emotions. But at the end of the day, you are responsible for how you react to situations. You can't control what situations happen, but we need to take full, complete accountability for how we respond to the pressures of life. And I feel that no matter what you've been through in life, typically the people that have been through some harder scenarios are better equipped to respond in a, in a better facet versus people that might've had just an easy life because you start to realize like, hey, I'm gonna be okay. Everything's going to be okay. This is a problem and I'm a firefighter and we're about to put it out. I agree, but sometimes people who have been through things in life can have a hair trigger. And you have to really work to, I mean, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you keep it real though. And it's interesting about the Alone series. First of all, Naked and Afraid. I, I How long do you think you could actually last on Naked and Afraid? I, could, I couldn't last on these shows 10 minutes. I'm scared of the dark. And I... I hate being cold. <laughs> I hate, I hate I the bugs. Like, what, what would be your one, you get to bring one tool for Naked and Afraid, what would it be? Matt. <laughs> <laughs> because I have so much faith in Matt. He's the most capable person I've ever met in my life. That sometimes I watch these shows and Matt has no survival skills, but I just feel that he could do it. I just have full faith in him. We got to get him on the spearfishing boat. He says he's going to do it, but we got to get him on the boat. And Matt has no ego. You know, I have a big ego and I'm extremely competitive. I even find myself in workout classes that have no competitive element trying to be the best, to win the class. There's no, but clearly that doesn't exist. Whereas, and that's something that's good about me, but also something that drives me nuts. Whereas Matt's very just secure with who he is. He's very confident. Um recently we were at a party and these people were playing cornhole and they were really good at cornhole like i don't know how someone becomes really good at cornhole but they were quite good shockingly good and matt's not good at cornhole and it didn't bother him he just didn't care that he wasn't good he's just having a good time where you could tell they were really getting off on it about this ridiculous backyard cornhole game which i found you know, see, when you sometimes when you see the behaviors that you exhibit in other people and you're like, oh, my God. 
Well, I think it's because Matt knows that low key now they're going to be more willing to play poker with him, and that's when he ultimately will get his revenge. I think that he's studying people. I think he's just seeing who these people are. He's just observing and seeing what makes them tick. And when you know what makes someone tick, you're pretty good at negotiating. 100%. I mean, you you play Matt in ping pong, man. You're going to whoop that ass, though. (laughs) Oh, is he good at ping pong? He's pretty good at ping pong. I had no idea. He's not like amazing, but he's pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) I think he's won the last few bouts, but... The future goal with the cigars.com cave is I want to have a pool table, a ping pong table. I want to have the ultimate man cave vibe where we're just shipping cigars around the world with amazing athletes coming in and poker. It's just going to be awesome. I know. I'm so proud of what you guys are doing. And it's interesting that you mentioned about, by the way, my thing that I would bring a naked and afraid is like a mosquito net because I would just tap out from mosquitoes. Really? Immediately. Oh, yeah. If you put me outside just in Miami in my backyard for three hours after dark, butt naked, I'm tapping out because of the mosquitoes. That's a good one. That's a good one. But if I can protect myself from skeets, then I'm, I, I'm cool. I mean, I've never seen Naked and Afraid. The reason I say mask, what kills these people on these shows is loneliness. These badass people. It's the loneliness that kills them. Who's the guy that was on Joe Rogan's podcast? He uh, he he killed like an elk or something crazy on the show. He like trapped some boars. Oh, like Roland? He was like the season winner. Oh my god, it's probably Roland from Rock House. I don't I'm know. sure I know who it is. Guy was such a badass though, and you just kept it so real because being out in nature definitely reminds you that hey. Look, all of these fictitious things that we put in these societal constructs of like making money, being successful and like living a certain lifestyle is all just like some human bullshit. But what really is deep in our system is the the hunts and providing for our family. My friend Josh, my chiropractor homie, which you we yeah, had a I great time with recently. Yeah. He was saying that one of his most amazing experiences was recently. He's my spearfishing buddy. He bought a, a boat and we go spear fishing at least once every two weeks. And he speared some, some snapper and he said, there was something unbelievably satisfying to see my wife and my child eating the snapper that I just speared in the ocean. <laughs> He's like, it's a feeling that I just can't explain to anybody. I get it. I get it. Just deep in our primitive sense of providing. I'm a provider for sure. I have that very much within me. What you also are is you're an entertainer. Whenever we go to parties, the crowd forms around you. You naturally <laughs> have this ability to take five or six people and just start. You have the gift of gab. I get that from my mom. You know, my mom's in theater, very spiritual, always the center of attention. And she's got a lot to say and she's very open. She's interesting. And she asks questions. I think when you become, the more you become an adult, I was raised with manners. Manners were everything in my family. One of the great things about you, obviously it's your business, but even beyond that, you ask questions. Shocked to find as an adult, very few people have that skill. Most people don't ask questions. Most people are very comfortable to sit back and let the conversation flow towards them and contribute very little in the way of curiosity. That's interesting because I've also noticed that People that talk about themselves is such an ugly trait. You know, if there's three, four new people in a room, I'm just trying to learn who these people are. What do they do? Like, what are their experiences? I'm trying to talk about myself as little as possible. 
because you should be listening more than you're talking. I always had a soft place in my heart for people who were not cool, who were kind of like left out. I was never a bully. I mean, unless somebody has some story about me, I, I really was never a bully. I've had to sort of soften that part of me and become a little harder because I don't have the capacity to absorb anybody's problem. Truly, for example, in real estate, people really are dying to talk about themselves and everyone's going through something. Luckily, I have an, I have an amazing set of clients who are not like this, but early on when I was maybe too inquisitive because I was trying to form a bond and I asked too many questions, I got burdened with a lot. And the truth is I don't want to know your personal story. I just need to help you make the best decision in your sale or purchase of your home. I've really toned back on interacting with people on that emotional level in business. Even my own team members, and Alexandra's great because she came in the other day and she had like a leak in her apartment and she was like, you know what, I'm just going to stop myself right there because it doesn't matter. And I said, it doesn't and I don't want to know. And it's not to be callous and in a social setting it's different, but in a work environment, so careful about how much you engage and what you ask because it doesn't always mean it's a good thing to know more about someone. It's interesting too because our your emotional capacity is only at so high and now all of a sudden if you add an emotional scenario or spark into a situation where you're trying to negotiate a deal or you find out this person's just been through a divorce and like they're buying this house out of like spite of their you know recent divorce or a death in the family and now all of a sudden it just adds unnecessary sort of pressure or drama to a scenario where at the end of the day your job is to get the best deal for both your your clients whether from a seller's or from a buyer's perspective and having all that extra baggage is only going to weigh everything down and, and fog the clear picture which is getting the best deal for your clients exactly and i'm an emotional person if i know that there's something going on in someone's life I, I will internalize that i might not come across like it but i do i really despise this millennial trait of because we are millennials constantly having to share how you're feeling i don't care <laughs> i really don't you're lucky if you're blessed in your life you have five people who genuinely want to hear what you have to say who genuinely have the capacity because most of us just want you to buck up and get it together and I know a lot has been said about mental health and softness and all of those things. And I have my own thoughts on that, but not in a work setting and even even less so in social settings these days. I think it all comes down to the individual. Some people thrive on that emotional. It's, it's their gig. Other people have a small circle. Like, for example, my brother. It's a very, very small circle, five people on it. And but he'll he's the ride or dies for those people. But very quickly, if you F that up, like you're out, you know, and it's, me, on the other hand, I have a huge circle, you know, but at the same time, I get what you're saying. I mean, in life, we don't you sometimes mention some things about friends. You never say names, right? Because you're always like respectful, but you'll bring up a scenario of someone saying, hey, I'm doing this exercise where I have to fake, you know, mentally break up with you. I remember you were telling me something about one of your friends who like mentally break up with you and you're like, we'll just use the word Joe, Joe, I don't have time for this. This is this. You don't need this. You're, you're, you're amazing. You're a great person. 
you got this. And you just kept it real with them and delivered a punch that he, I think he needed to hear at the time. Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I mean, who knows? I think it's sometimes it's confusing when someone who you don't feel very close to considers you very close to them. And I think that's when I've had to examine am I creating too close of an atmosphere that I genuinely don't feel? I, I've gotten in the habit recently of writing down the things I have to do and the things I want to do and really trying to pull back on the things that I feel like I, that, the things that I genuinely don't want to do. Like sometimes I have social events, I genuinely don't want to do them. Unless I feel that it's productive for my business, no, I won't go. It's interesting that you mentioned about the sharing thing because we just got back from this retreat in Austin. It was like, it was called Bro Treat, run by Phil Michaels. He's a legend. Phil Michaels is a Forbes 30 under 30 uh, business mastery coach. So he like coaches um, CEOs, professional athletes, musicians uh, on just being, basically he's like a mini Tony Robbins in his own way. Mm -hmm. um, so he put on this retreat, which was my first time going. And it's the idea is that you're supposed to improve in all areas of your life from like mental relationship physical um and you do these different tasks um but one of it is this really like sherry sherry about like your life and your struggles and like the, the traumas you've gone through and some people that were sharing it was just like shit like you just you, you don't know what people are going through but at the same time uh, it's interesting because you realize i think the biggest thing about sharing is that you don't have it all figured out and it's okay most people don't have life figured out but if you never let people know and talk about your shit, it just builds up an atomic bomb in the back of your brain and then one day it explodes. So sometimes it's like having a therapist or having a friend to talk to and having making sure that you're sharing your feelings and to not let them just grow until the point where um, you know it affects you. So I think sharing is extremely important, but to your point, it makes total sense. You can't be that for everyone unless you're <laughs> that's your job. <laughs> Everyone needs to share, but be careful about how you do it in business. Be careful about what you ask of other people in business. Friendship's different. You know, business, I don't believe and I've learned, don't cross, don't cross that line. Just do your job and be good at it. And then if the deal closes and everyone's happy, maybe you can develop that, but not before. Right. There it is. There Haley, it is. Haley Dodd, baby. I mean, <laughs> but that, that thought process and that mentality is what's afforded you to be able to make these crazy deals. I know you don't give yourself enough credit because you're always looking to get to the next level, which is why you're a great leader, which is why you've been able to build such an amazing, first of all, I love the new branding. Looks mm -hmm. amazing. It's so good, right? Yeah. We're going to have to loop it over the clips because it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, but your ability to be tenacious and go for those big deals what else do you feel has to come with posturing on some of these deals? Does posture come into it when representing a seller or a client? Or what do you think is uh, other tips that you would have for realtors to really set themselves on fire in their first year of business? Oh, their first year? Your first year, you have to work online leads. You have to eat. Unless you are coming into the industry with a really active network, I think one of the things that a lot of first-year agents fall victim to is, for example, I've worked with agents who say, oh, you know what? My second cousin is Adam Levine, 
and I know that he'll buy with me and I go to dinners with that person and this person. They're in this like, it's called a pseudo celebrity circle. And they think because they become a realtor and their exposure to those affluent people will immediately make them successful. The truth is that does not make a successful realtor. Grind does and learning inventory and learning how to speak to a specific neighborhood makes someone successful. Not landing the second cousin of Adam Levine or whatever it might be. So don't think, don't rest on your laurels. Don't think just because you have a network you're going to be successful because a network does not mean ready buyers. You have to figure out where you want to work and go for it. And I would say, you know, get into the online lead business. There's a lot of different platforms out there. Find a good mentor. Find the right brokerage. Go to every single open house. Walk in every single door you can and be proud of what you're doing and be honest about what you can offer. And I would say your first year you know, part of my 10 rules to live by, wake up early, get out the door. You never know where it's going to, where it's going to lead. And you have to be able to take that phone call and get into see a, get into see a property or get to meet a seller that evening. And have a good workout routine so that you can let off the steam when you go through a tough day. Yeah. And you got to get it done in the morning. You know, I know everyone has a different cycle, but at least for this industry, because the day can always get out of control, do it early in the morning. How early do you get up? I go to, I mean, I'm not like waking, I'm not like the rock, but I go to, so I go to Barry's as almost every morning. I do Guy, he's amazing, 710. Um, there's a bunch of instructors I like. Derek, I did 820. So, you know, 710 is really when I like to be hitting my workout, you know, in the office, if I'm in the office by nine. So it's not super early, but it's early enough where I'm getting up at 630 or Matt's getting up and then waking me up. Yeah, Matt gets up and lets the little teenies out. But just doing your responsibilities for me, like my mental health is working out. And, and you started Haley's Boot Camp. Oh my God, don't even, <laughs> don't even talk about Haley's Boot Camp. <laughs> that was during COVID. That was when, that was fun. You know what I liked about that though is it showed that if you wanted to, you could become a trainer. If you wanted to one day, you could become a trainer and go down that route. I think it's fun to dip your toes in different potential career paths but not do it all in, but do it just to the point where you're enjoying it. Yeah, boot camp was something I started during COVID. At one point, I had a pretty steady following. I still do it occasionally. It's just for fun. It's never going to, you know, I daydream about it, but it's just not where the money is. And it's not where my, you know, my core competency is. It's just for, it's just for fun for me. But the point is, for me, level setting, mental health, in the morning, doing a workout almost every single day because I need that endorphin release. That is my natural medication. So for year one, you really need to get on the phone. You need to call leads. You need to just go through the gauntlet. You need to get familiar with the neighborhoods I heard. You need to really understand the area. And then what happens, what do you build upon that in year two? Well, year one, you're usually working mostly with buyers, maybe renters, right? Doing rentals would be great your first year. By your second year, some of those contacts should have turned into sellers or have given you access to sellers because working with sellers is a whole nother level of prestige and grows your business because working with a seller is carries its own level of responsibility even more so sometimes than working with buyers. By your second year, it depends what market you're in, right? For example, I think in Miami, if you do $5 million in business your first year, that's a fantastic first year, right? And you should be trying to double your business every year up to five years. And then things can change and the market can change and you'll have to grow your team, but that should be your goal if you're doing it full time. The other advice, 
certainly in your first year, definitely going to your second year, because most realtors don't last past a year. They don't. Because everyone thinks it's easy. They sell their cousin's house and they can never do business again. And the dues are expensive. The annual dues to the board or your broker, whatever it might it's be. It's like a thousand bucks for the M- MLS or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's like 1800 And then you have other fees that you pay to your broker. It has to be your full-time job. There is no wishy-washy. If you're not doing real estate full-time, you're really not taking the business of being an advisor seriously. And by your, by your again, it depends on the brokerage, like Compass, you can't be an independent agent in certain, until you have a certain production volume. Other brokerages, you can be an independent agent immediately. It de- choosing the right brokerage also your first year is incredibly important. Well, there's two different categories, right? There's an agent and then a broker. So the broker is, like the big brokers are Douglas Elements, Sotheby's, Corcoran, you know, Compass. Those are the huge brokerages across the nation and the world that realtors go hang their license under because they provide tons of resources, management, legal resources. Compass is amazing. The technology platform, the on-site marketing and, and, and media staff. Um, that's why you go to a big brokerage, right? And then it doesn't mean you can't be a broker. You can be a broker agent, which is the next level of being an agent. But you just have to, I recommend hanging your your license with a big brokerage. You pay pay fees to them, right? You pay a split to them. But you have the security and the brand name behind you and the network. Now, I'm an individual agent, but I work for that brokerage, right? Or I hang my license under that brokerage. But we're all 1099. Nobody's W2'd when you're an agent. Got it. So year one, you're building these lists, you're building your leads. By At that point, you've helped some people just get into some rental areas and you built some relationships. By year two, maybe some of those people are ready to buy. You've gotten to a point where they trust you and respect you. So now you're still doing well out. You did in year one, but you're starting to get some momentum. Do you feel that years three, four, and five is where you really start to see momentum if you're like all in full time? In my, in my opinion, years one and two are all about working any neighborhood you want, any deal you want, total humility. But year three, you should really kind of know what neighborhood you want to work in. Because you can't be an expert. I can't be an expert in Palm Beach and Kendall and Miami Shores. I can help you do a deal, but do I know the street that you want to live on? No. Do I know the specific line in the building in Midtown the way I do you know, down here? No. So by years three, you should really know this is the neighborhood I, neighborhoods I want to be an expert in and double down on your network and your marketing and learning those neighborhoods so you can be the premier agent there. And then hopefully by f- years four and five, you're building your team, you're expanding to different territories, and you've really stepped into becoming a leader. That's a successful track. Many people never get there. Beyond what other things can people do on the side to help them, equip them to be better at having a successful year one, two, and three? Whether that be certain trainings, whether that be leadership groups, networking events, uh, any thoughts there? Yeah, I would say that, again, choosing the right brokerage within, within your tool, working your sphere of influence is the biggest part of it. And then beyond your sphere of influence, working, like I said, the cold calls, because your sphere of influence might not deliver immediately. For me, it's also about finding out the things that you do personally for enjoyment and trying to build a community there, whether it's a certain boxing studio you go to or a restaurant that you love, constantly being friendly, remembering names. I've done deals with the people who, you know, are the managers at my favorite restaurants because they know me and I know them because I'm friendly and I'm consistent. I would say that my secret sauce is, and Matt and I say we're creatures of habit, 
go to the same places. Go to the same places and establish yourself as somebody who's constantly going there and is friendly because that will help you lead and the same places in the neighborhoods you want to work. You know, don't worry too much about running around doing all these different things. Focus on the core places that you want to go. And also, as you're building it the tough way through cold calling, build it organically through the places that you generally like to be at. Yeah, I like that you mentioned building community inside of the things you enjoy. Because that's what's going to make you feel like home. A lot of times people say in LA and Miami that it swallows you up. And a lot of that's because people come for the wrong reasons. They come to party and they don't make moves, right? Like we came here more so like from a business mindset and we don't have that problem. But a lot of it's because they don't build friends. They don't build community. And you need to like purposely build community if you want to have great friends in the things you like to do. And by doing that, you need to be open. You need to be willing to try new things and try new communities. A great example is uh, one of my buddies. um, He's an NBA referee. I actually met him through Jake, who went golfing with him once. And then we got a cigar with Jake and Matt. And we've ended up becoming pretty good friends. And he like we've been trying to play uh, tennis, but uh, he's always traveling because he's, you know, doing the NBA thing. And one day he hits me up. He says, hey, Ian, you want to play pickleball? I'm like pickleball i'm like hell yeah i want to play pickleball what's that he goes meet at this place the miami beach courts at 6 30. i get there he's not there yet he says just ask for these two names i just show up there's a people of all different ages i'm like hey does anyone know who michael or, or joe is and they're like hey i'm michael hey i'm joe i'm like oh hey uh i'm ian uh i've never played before never played before let me take you over this guy michael just hooks me up teaches me how to play pickleball i have no idea who these people are within 20 minutes we're all playing pickleball together i mean like four genuine great friends and now i'm part of this pickleball group well i think that's one of your greatest qualities and don't and we can't take for granted that you can go talk to anyone and you are unabashed and you're not shy and we all have different insecurities but they never publicly emerge you're always on I've come to realize I can't take for granted that I can talk to people. It's not easy for everyone. You know, it's not easy for everyone to socialize with people. Well, those people don't become realtors and they don't become podcasters, right? They might become other things. But don't expect someone to be able to socially be be as astute as you are or as capable. That's a gift. It's a gift, but it's also something you have to work on. Because I don't just see people and say... I want to talk to them. A lot of the times I'm like, shit, like <laughs> I got that chest, like, especially like I have to go introduce myself right now. Like I'm probably going to get rejected. Like that's happened to me and it still happens to me every time. But I tell myself, you have to go do this. Go introduce yourself. What What's going to like, if you don't, you're going to just regret it and be sad all day, you know? So you have to force yourself. I mean, I used to do that with dating. I mean, that, uh, that's the way I got out of my comfort zone to talk to, to girls because we've started playing what we call just amongst my friends, the game and the game had great intentions. It was to speak to great people and open up more conversations so that, you know, the boys could be successful. Right. But one of the hardest things for a guy to do is just to approach and and say hi to a a girl, especially if they find him attractive. So what we would do is I would go out with like Mike Parzak and of course not Matt Dodge because you know, that was well before your time. And uh, basically say, hey, like Mike, you know, you have to go introduce yourself right now to that girl. And if Mike doesn't stop what he's doing and go over and say hi to him or her, write him, (laughs) her right now, he has to buy everyone a round of drinks. And it's funny because you you start playing the game on yourself because it's peer pressure. Like you literally just like it 
fire. You have to just prove that you can say hi to them. And you get rejected eight out of 10 times. But the two times you don't, you know, the boys come in as reinforcements and you meet a great group of people. There is only one person in the history of playing this game with that has ever just opted to buy everyone drinks. And his name is Matt Dodge. <laughs> what? When? <laughs> he did it. <laughs> well, he didn't. Did he not? Did he? I always thought he had game. Oh, he did. But he just wasn't. He's like, nope, not doing that. I'm just going to buy everyone around and drinks. Yeah. He he's, he's, an organ- he's an organic guy. He's organic. He's, he's organic. A, he's one of the best ones. Yes. That just still makes me laugh to this day. That's so funny. <laughs> I can see it, though. I can see him just. He's he can be a little he can be a little he can be a little shy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, everyone's shy. Like I'm not shy. But not Matt's Matt's definitely can be shy. I was so impressed recently with Matt. We had this big conference call with uh, Folds of Honor, and I mean, he presented in front of all the chapters nationally, and Matt he crushed it. Yeah, he's really good. Matt is stellar at communication. And his marketing and branding is incredible. Like he has this eye for just great presentations and templates that comboed up with Sky. They have been such a deadly combo for yes. cigars.com. I know Sky is now part of the Haley Miami team. And we have the official Haley cigar that's now going to be on its way any day now. The Cigarillo. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. actually have the, uh, I'm going to send you home with the, the, the actual stogie it's going to be on. Oh, nice. But it's the official. You're going to have, you have your own cigar. You're going to be giving that out to clients. I that's, think that's unique. That is very unique. Yeah. And you don't have to smoke it. You can just look at it. Give yeah, it to someone yeah. who smokes it. Uh, for sure. Yeah. That's a great gift. Great, great co-branding. Wine and cigars are just great gifts. Right. You know? So one thing that we always say whenever we start to, to wind down these podcasts is I like to ask if you could go back in time to maybe when you were 16 years old. And you could have talked to 16-year-old you for, let's say, a minute or two. You're, 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 you're thriving right now where you're at. And you're like, listen up, girl. We got a minute or two. And you could have told yourself one, two, or three things. I could have just saved yourself a ton of time, money, heartache, headache, sadness. And obviously, the best answer is I wouldn't have told myself anyone because it made me who I am today. Or I would have invested in crypto. but what do you think you would have told yourself uh if you had that opportunity wow i would have said it doesn't matter where you go to college so stop worrying about it or if you go be nice always it will get you further than being unkind and everything's gonna be okay i think those are three things i would have told myself now I need to know yours. What would I have told myself? I'd probably say build your brand sooner. Put yourself out there from day one. Um, shoot your shot more. My last one I would probably say just believe in yourself more. I would say that. Yeah, you're your greatest asset. Nobody's you. That's why there's no fear in sharing all of your knowledge and everything you know and being totally transparent because nobody can do it like you can do it. And when you start to tap into that, you really feel more secure and confident in who you are as a person. More so just like being on this earth, like being human is a crazy experience. Yeah. You know, 
Like we're trying to have our life together when things like just diseases kill you at any time, at any given fight. Like, like so much crazy shit happens being a human. We literally live on an earth in the middle of time and space and we don't know anything about anything. Yet you're like so confused as to why you can't figure out your relationship or what's going on. It's like, yeah, this shit is complicated, but you need to know your worth. If you know your worth, you have such a better shot at finding happiness during our short time around this globe. I agree. Haley Dodge, everybody. How could everyone follow you? How can they follow the real estate journey? And- oh, Haley Miami. Haley Miami everywhere. Haley Miami on my social media website, everything. And I've said it. And I'm mi- with Compass. And yeah. I've said it a million times before. I would not have this beautiful home with this amazing just lifestyle if it wasn't for, for you, Haley. So thank you for making that happen. Um, you're the world's best realtor, world's best friend. And I can't wait to bring my future abuser on dog over to that pool and break your liner. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, E. Appreciate you. This is a damn good day to have a damn good day. from day one um shoot your shot more and my last one i would probably say just believe in yourself more i would say that yeah you're your greatest asset nobody's you that's why there's no fear in sharing all of your knowledge and everything you know and being totally transparent because nobody can do it like you can do it. And when you start to tap into that, you really feel more secure and confident in who you are as a person. More so just like being on this earth, like being human is a crazy experience. Yeah. You know, like we're trying to have our life together when things like just diseases kill you at any time, at any given fight. Like like so much crazy shit happens being a human. We literally live on an earth in the middle of time and space and we don't know anything about anything. Yet you're like so confused as to why you can't figure out your relationship or what's going on. It's like, yeah, this shit is complicated. But it, you need to know your worth. If you know your worth, you have such a better shot at finding happiness during our short time around this globe. 
I, I agree. Haley Dodge, everybody. How can everyone follow you? How can they follow the real estate journey? And oh, Haley Miami. Haley Miami everywhere. Haley Miami on my social media website, everything. And I've said it. And I'm with Compass. And yeah. I've said it a million times before. I would not have this beautiful home with this amazing just lifestyle if it wasn't for, for you, Haley. So thank you for making that happen. Um, you're the world's best realtor, world's best friend. And I can't wait to bring my future abuser on dog over to that pool and break your liner. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, E. Appreciate you.